Indeed. Good morning, everybody. Um, anybody who is new, this is your first time here. Whoa, okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Um, thank you for choosing to come and worship with us. And at the end of the service, you're more than welcome to have a cup of tea or coffee and just share something about yourself with us. We are always delighted to have visitors. And for those who are regulars, of course, you're always welcome. So to kick us off, uh, my name is Monica, as has been presented. I'm part of the leadership, um, and I'm delighted to bring the Word of God this morning. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we started off on uh, looking at Old Testament characters, people in the Old Testament. And uh, we looked at, so far we've looked at Mordecai, and last week, those who were here, can you remember who we looked at? Daniel, yes, that's right, Daniel. Um, Patrick did a very good message on uh, the character of Daniel. So what I'm going to do is um, I want us to do a, do a very quick overview of the Old Testament. And there's a slide that is going to come up in a second. <laughs> I declare and decree. <laughs> okay, there we are. Um, just so that we can get a bit of context, even as we go through these characters. Basically, the Old Testament is um, divided into six time segments as far as uh, the history of the Israelites is concerned. We start off with the creation, which is on the extreme left-hand side, um, well, left for you, uh, where we have Adam and Eve being created, and then we have the fall. I don't know if everybody can see that. Is it clear? Okay, so we have the fall. Um, so Adam and Eve leave the presence of the Lord, and then we have Cain and Abel, the flood, Noah, and then the town, the, the town of Babel. And after that, we have the patriarchs, so people um, who are very are known as the founders of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, and Joseph. And from there, in fact, all these three segments, the creation, the fall, and the patriarchs, are actually recorded in the book of Genesis. It's all summarized in the book of Genesis, as well as the book of Job, because uh, Job actually lived in the time of the patriarchs. Um, and then from then on, <clears throat> the Israelites begin to multiply um, in Egypt, and then they are delivered out of Egypt, and they have an exodus into the promised land. So this is the time of Moses, um, the ten plagues, the Red Sea, all the way up to the judges, the people like Deborah, like Samson, um, like Gideon, and so on. After some time, they begin to demand a king, and they are given Solomon, uh, sorry, Saul. Saul is the first king. Um, Israel becomes a kingdom and is ruled by first King Saul, who is then followed by King David and then King Solomon. So that's the kings as well as the temple, because eh? the temple is built around those, uh, those times. Now, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel splits into two. There is the kingdom of Israel that is ruled by the bad kings um, in the north, it's the northern kingdom. They don't pay any attention to God and to his ways, and so eventually they're invaded by the Assyrians and then absorbed, and we never hear about them again. The kingdom of Judah to the south continues for some time. It's ruled by various kings. Some of them are good and some of them are bad, but in the end, Things don't really go well because many of them become evil and evil and more evil. They don't really pay attention to God's ways. And then they are invaded by Babylon, taken into exile. Many of them are taken into exile in Babylon. And they return. 
And uh, in exile, that's where people like Daniel show up. When they return, <clears throat> eventually Babylon is overruled by, is, is run, is uh, taken over by other kingdoms like the Persian kingdom. And uh, that's where people like Esther turn up and Mordecai. And then there are several other kingdoms that happen until the Roman Empire comes into, um, into reign and uh, the New Testament begins. Okay? So that's the Old Testament. So if you meet someone this week and they ask you, what did you hear in the sermon this week? Just tell them we went through the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, within two minutes. <laughs> I would be really impressed them. So, um, yeah, that's just to give us some context. And today we are going to be looking at a character from the Exodus, that, uh, the fourth time segment. And that is the character of Miriam. Miriam. Miriam was the sister to... Moses and, and Aaron, there we are. Okay, so they were siblings, Miriam, Moses, and Aaron, and Miriam was actually the firstborn, followed by Aaron and then Moses. And I would like to share four lessons, four lessons from her life. There are four things that we can learn from her life. So let's go to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, and we're going to specifically start in chapter one because it helps to set us, uh, to give us some context. Exodus chapter one. So at this point, in Exodus chapter 1, we'll not go step by step, just in summary, the Israelites are living in the land of Egypt. They have increased in number since the time of Joseph and his brothers. So they have multiplied and multiplied. And there's a new king in Egypt, a new pharaoh. And this new pharaoh didn't really care about Joseph or his legacy. He didn't care really about why the Israelites were there. Um, he was more concerned by the fact that the Israelites were becoming more and more powerful. That was his really concern. He considered them a political or a military threat. And so to solve this problem, he decided to, first of all, make them slaves, to really put them under oppression. Now, it didn't work because under oppression, they multiplied even further. They increased in number even more. And so he came up with another solution, and that is basically to kill every male child by drowning them in the river Nile. Imagine that. So this is the crisis that is happening in Egypt when Moses is born. So let's go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. So the woman conceived and bore a son who is Moses. So that's the, the person they're specifically talking about. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch, and then she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now, at this point, anything could have happened. Anything could have happened. However, Miriam, who was a young girl, at the time, decides to intervene. She takes action to ensure that Moses is saved from Pharaoh's murderous decree. She takes action to change Moses' destiny. And this is the first lesson that I believe we learn from Miriam. And the lesson is this, that we can influence the destiny of our children. We can influence the destiny of our children. 
And I believe the Lord is speaking very strongly to parents this morning. I'm talking about parents, I'm talking about guardians, uh, people who have charge of um, young people or influencing other people, spiritual children. I believe the Lord is speaking very, very um, strongly this morning that we can influence the destiny of children. There are things that we can do to protect them from the enemy's plots and to help them become godly men and women. We really shouldn't just leave it to the world to decide what is to become of our children. Are we together? Okay? So the world and its systems are often influenced by the enemy. Satan is called the god of this world. And like Pharaoh, his, his role is really to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He does not necessarily do it with a sword, as Pharaoh did, but he does it through deception. He does it through deception. He does this by turning young people away from the truth and trapping them into the lies of this world. So Miriam teaches us that as parents and as guardians, we can in fact step in and we can intervene to stop this, to stop the enemy's agenda. So let's look at what Miriam did. Verse 4 of Exodus chapter 2, verse 4. And his sister, that is Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. So basically she stands at a distance in order to know what would happen. In order to know what would happen. So God has given us this, the Holy Spirit who can help us discern and know what is happening and how we can intervene. You can ask him and you can depend on him to really help you protect the children or the people that you are guarding. Another thing that Miriam did, so she did not just stop at knowing what would happen, is that she took action. She took action to save Moses. Let's look at verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, that is Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away. And nurse him for me. And I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. So here's Miriam at a very young age. In fact, some people estimate she must have been as young as between maybe 7 to 12 years old. She took action, and this really required courage, it required boldness, it required wisdom. And the results of her action were very interesting. First of all, Moses was nursed by his own mother instead of dying in the river Nile, because that was the fate of young boys at the time. Instead, he was nursed by his mother. Secondly, his mother was paid wages to nurse her own child. Imagine that. <laughs> and all the, other, all the mothers said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> so instead of losing her child, she's paid wages to actually nurse her own child. And then Moses was positioned in the king's palace, growing as a royal son in a protected environment instead of becoming a slave. 
That's how God can actually use us when we are willing to intervene on behalf of our children. And there are many Bible stories. I mean, there are many stories in the Bible uh, that show young children being saved because of what their parents did. Can you think of some? Jesus, exactly, Jesus. When Joseph and Mary intervened, or rather uh, took steps, uh, took steps to, to really flee to Egypt uh, after Herod had decreed that every young boy, uh, every, every male boy should basically die, every male, male son, every male should die um, at a young age. You know, if you're a man here, really thank God that you live in this day and age because otherwise, <laughs> things were really tough in the old days. So, so give thanks to God that you live in this time. So anyway, Jesus was one, uh, uh, saved by Joseph and Mary and, and, and the actions they took. And somebody else? King, King Joash, okay, King Joash specifically, I heard somebody say, who survived a massacre that had been instituted by his grandmother. His grandmother was Queen Athaliah, and she decided, uh, you know, it's a long story, but basically she decided to kill everybody in the royal family because she wanted to take power. But, she was, but he was saved, King Joash, when he was very young. He was saved by a relative uh, who grabbed him and then took him to, and hid him in the temple. And then together with her husband, who was a high priest at the time, raised him up. And he became one of the best kings of Egypt. His name is King Joash. Uh-huh. The Shunammite woman. Remember the Shunammite woman whose son died? And uh, she was like, all is well. Imagine making a statement like that. And then she took steps, she took action, and the son was raised from the dead. Imagine if this woman, the Shunammite woman, had agreed that her son was dead and left it at that. Imagine if Moses and, and uh, rather, imagine if um, Joseph and Mary had basically subjected themselves to Herod's decree. Imagine if Miriam and her mother had left Moses to Pharaoh's decree. So like Miriam, um, you and I can influence the destiny of those who are under our charge, under our care. You can intervene to ensure that the system does not kill, steal, and destroy them. So don't just agree with proclamations that the world makes about your children. Okay? So um, the doctor may say this about your child. The teachers may say this. The government statistics may say this. Even your own relatives at times can say this. This child will never amount to much. The question here is, and, and sometimes some of these things may be factually true. I mean, if your child is having bad grades, the child is having bad grades. If your child is sick, the child is sick. Um, so these things can sometimes be factually true. But the key thing here is what is God saying? What does God say? And what does he want me to do in this situation? So the Lord has given us very practical steps to take in order to influence the destiny of our children, okay? Um, one of these is, for example, praying over them and praying with them, praying over them and praying with them. It helps to nature their faith, to keep them steadfast in the things of the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. I talked briefly about this, but the Holy Spirit is really our helper. We are not... Um, navigating this world helpless. We have the Holy Spirit himself as our helper, and he gives us the discernment to know what is actually going on, even when the child is not in your presence. 
Be a role model. Imitate Christ so that your children can also imitate you as you imitate Christ. You know, children are very, very good imitators. I think those who are raising, actively raising young children can, can testify to this. I sit, you know, sometimes have like uh, my young nephews and, and nieces with me and, and I'm really amazed. In a few minutes, they can repeat exactly what you're saying back to you. Imitate exactly what you're doing, how you're doing it. So imitate Christ that they may imitate you even as you imitate Christ. Train them up in the ways of the Lord. And when you do so, we are assured, the scriptures assure us that they will not depart from it. Not that they will return to it. It's not, it's not that they will return back to it. It's they will not depart from it. That's the assurance from the scriptures. And then discipline wisely, according to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. We are to discipline wisely because discipline, when it's done wisely, is actually a sign of love. Amen? Amen. So there are many more things that the Lord um, has given us to really take action to make sure that we really intervene in the lives of our children, that we can really ensure that their destiny is according to the ways that God wants us to walk, wants them to walk. And I sense there's someone here this morning, and I think this was mentioned a little earlier, but there's someone here this morning, you've, in a sense, you, you've kind of given up on your children. And when I say that, not necessarily in a, in a negative sense or such, but really you've given them up to the world. You're like, let the teachers take care of this. Whatever the doctors have said, you have, you have that attitude. And God is calling us to change our thinking and say, yes, you can stand in. You can indeed intervene. So what I'm going to do, um, it's a bit unusual, but I would like us to spend just a few minutes really praying into the lives of our children. Just speaking words over our children. And if you're sitting next to your spouse and there are words maybe you've agreed over your children, certain things, certain promises the Lord has given you concerning your children, you can just, this is an opportunity to really just bring those scriptures. Um, and even if you're not, if your spouse is not here, there's certain things that the Lord has placed on your heart concerning your children. This is a good moment to just pray into them. And if you haven't heard from the Lord regarding your children, this is a good moment to receive from him. So when your children are, whether they're biological or they're spiritual, let's just pray into them for a few minutes. Hallelujah. 
So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just want to take a stand for our children. For those you have given us charge over, whether they are biological, whether they are people that we, children that we are guardians of, whether they are spiritual, we take a stand for you on their behalf. And Lord, we just want to pray over them, that even as we speak these words over their lives, that these words may be alive in them. That they will be kept safe from the enemy. And like Moses, they will be strategically placed in the places where you want them to be. That they may grow to be your followers every day of their lives. We pray over them that they will be mighty because your word promises us that our children will be mighty. So we pray over them that they will be mighty in your name. We pray that we will stand and be a model for them. That even as they see us, they will see you in us. Help us, Holy Spirit. We ask for your help humbly. That you may give us discernment to see them and to see what you have for them. Help us to train them in the ways that they should go, in the ways that you have decreed that they should go. Help us to train them in those ways that they may not depart from them. And help us to bring them up wisely. We pray for protection against the enemy. Whatever he may be planning, whatever he may be plotting against them, we rebuke that and we break that in the mighty name of Jesus. And we speak health and healing and blessings into their lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we've prayed. Amen and amen. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's the lesson that we learned from Miriam. We can intervene. Okay? The second lesson that we learned from Miriam is that we can worship in all circumstances and at all places, in all places. We can worship in all circumstances and in all places. Let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. So again, a quick summary. At this point, the Israelites have just crossed the Red Sea. And it's one of the most powerful miracles that has been recorded in history, in their history, and in the history of the world. Amazing miracle. So their enemy Pharaoh and his army have drowned, um, even as they attempted to chase after, uh, after the Israelites. So in chapter 15, first Moses and then Miriam break out into song of praise. So let's look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, specifically verse 20. Exodus 15, verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. So what can, what can we learn from this passage? Well, we can learn that I can worship. You and I can worship at all times and in all places. Notice that Miriam didn't say, let's go to a special place and let's wait for a specific time in order to worship. 
This was really spontaneous worship. So worship doesn't just have to happen in a very specific moment on a Sunday when my favorite song is, play, is playing. And if they don't play my favorite song, I'm like, man, that was disappointing. No, it doesn't work like that. Worship can be at all times in all circumstances. We can bless the Lord at all times. We can have his praises continuously on our lips, whether it is Sunday morning or Monday evening. We can worship at all times and in any place. Another thing is that we can worship even in the wilderness, even in the wilderness, as Miriam did. What is the wilderness? Well, the wilderness is where, when we really don't know what is ahead of us. The wilderness is when we haven't seen the promised land. We have no idea how long it will take to see God's promises coming to pass. And keep in mind that even as Miriam was worshipping, the Israelites had just started their journey. They had just left Egypt. They had 40 more years to go. But here she was, worshipping and rejoicing because of the important victory that God had granted them. So how long have you been waiting for God's promises? You can worship while you wait. You can worship while you wait. Like Miriam, you can praise God for what he has done while you're trusting him for what he is about to do. He has saved you. He loves you. He has given you victory in times past. He's given you family. He's given you provision. We can celebrate around these things while we wait for the promises. There is always something to thank God about in every situation, no matter what the circumstance. The other thing about worship um, that Miriam teaches us is that we can learn to thank God in very simple ways, very simple ways, um, and as long as it's from the heart. When we present our hearts, as the song said, here's my heart, and really we worship from that position, it really does wonders. Um, Miriam's song of praise, if you look at it, is really a very short song, very, very simple and very short but you can sense the joy in her heart. You can, heart. you can sense where her heart is. It's genuine worship, genuine worship from the heart. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Jesus sometimes used this kind of very short, very simple worship and praise. You see, at one time he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And that was it. Very simple, very short, and to the point. Yes, we are supposed to be continuously worshiping the Lord, but at times it's good to just voice in very simple ways from the heart something specific that the Lord has done. God is very interested in heart worship than in many words, which unfortunately sometimes are just said to impress yourself or to impress others. Just simple, effective worship. So Miriam teaches us how to worship. Another thing that we can learn from Miriam is that we can harvest life or death from the words that we speak. Let's go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Again, a quick summary of Numbers chapter 12, and we'll not read it in detail. I encourage you to read these scriptures. 
um, when you do have the time, they tell us a lot. Numbers chapter 12. So here Miriam and Aaron get together and they gossip or they, you know, they, they, they speak against Moses. Um, firstly, because he was married to a Cushite, uh, an Ethiopian woman. And secondly, because he went on, um, you know, secondly, they went on to challenge Moses. They, they challenged his authority. And basically what they were doing, in a nutshell, was grumbling and complaining and criticizing Moses. So God then calls them to appear before him. And when they do so, together with Moses, he pronounces judgment and punishment upon Miriam. Why Miriam? Why specifically Miriam? Well, Bible scholars say it's because she probably started the whole thing. Anyways, whatever the reason, she is struck with leprosy. And then when Aaron and Moses intervene, God eventually heals her, but requires her to be first shut outside the camp for seven days as a leper before she joins uh, the camp again. So why did God take this thing so, so seriously? Perhaps it's because Miriam was a prophetess. Um, and, and this is what was mentioned about her. She was a prophetess. And God's prophets and God's prophetesses were supposed to declare the life-giving word of God. So she had an important responsibility to speak life, to speak life. Instead, she spoke death, and she reaped accordingly. Before we go any further, let me just say this. Let me just say we really need to be thankful that we live under the new covenant where judgment for sin has been put on Jesus Christ. If God was to put leprosy on, every, on us every time that we gossiped or criticized or complained, we would be in very serious trouble. So thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Having said this, it is still important for us to learn the lesson that we should watch our words. Our words are very powerful. They're like seeds, really. Uh, and whatever you sow, you will reap. They are that powerful. Whatever you sow, you will reap. They bring life or death to others, and they can also bring life and death to you, as we saw in the case of Miriam. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2, it says, you are ensnared. You are ensnared. You are trapped by the words of your own lips. So whatever you speak, what is it actually accomplishing? What is it intended to do? What seeds are you growing? Do you grumble? Do you complain? Do you murmur about others? Do you tear down others? Even in your thoughts, because your thoughts really are words. They're just not voiced. What about the words that you say about yourself? Do you think and speak negatively about yourself? We need to take an example from Jesus. Jesus spoke words of grace and life, and so should we. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 encourages us to, and says, Let no corrupting talk come out from your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So let's watch our words. Let's speak words that build. Let's speak words of grace. Let's speak life. And then the, the, the last lesson that I'll mention here, lesson four, that we can learn from Moses, is, uh, from Miriam, is that we can lead without position or title. We can lead without position or title. Let's go to Micah chapter six. Micah chapter 6, if you've got your Bible with you, just go to Micah chapter 6, 
And here God is speaking through the prophet Micah. This is now many, many years after Miriam has passed on or she has died. And uh, uh, God is speaking through prophet Micah. He's reminding the Israelites about what he has done for them. If we go specifically to verse 4, this is what he says. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. So when we think of the person who led Israel out of Egypt, many of us would naturally just think of Moses. If I asked you who led Israel out of Egypt, most of us, the first thing you'd think of is Moses. At a stretch, you might say, okay, even Aaron, they worked together. But seldom do we think of Miriam. Seldom do we think of Miriam. Yet in this verse, God puts her on the same platform as Moses and Aaron. He says, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. They're on the same platform. So what does this tell us about God's view of leadership? What does this tell us about godly leadership? Well, godly leadership doesn't have to have titles or public acknowledgement or even be in the limelight necessarily. You can lead in the workplace without a title. You can lead in your home, even if you're the youngest. You can lead the way that Miriam led. Let's look at some, just a, a few points on how she led. First of all, she took action to ensure that God's will was done in saving baby Moses. So that's what godly leaders do. They take action to ensure that God's will is done in specific situation. Even if sometimes the action is risky, even if no one is doing it. That's exactly what Miriam did. She took action when no one was doing anything. You too can walk in that, in that light um, to take action to ensure God's will is done. Another thing that um, godly leaders do is they're worshipers. Miriam was a worshiper who led all the Israelite women in worship. You know, it is estimated that the people who left Israel was 500,000 men besides women and children. 500,000. Now, generally speaking, in a population, you'll find 50% men, 50% women. So the Bible says she led all the women in worship. That means there must have been like 500,000 women. All the women in worship. To do that, she must have been a worshiper. Godly leaders are worshippers. They focus on God. Not only this, but they inspire others to follow God and to worship God. That is what Miriam did. And then another thing that godly leaders do is they speak the word of God. Miriam was a prophetess. Prophetesses and prophets are people who will hear the word of God and speak it in order to build up and to encourage and to console others. So godly leaders speak the word of God. It's not just about quoting scripture, but really hearing from God and speaking his heart, even as you hear in your heart. What has the Lord said? How has the Lord directed us? So irrespective of where you are, whether you are in small fellowships, or whether you're in your family at home, 
or in your workplace and you don't really have a title, if you don't have an official position or title, this does not disqualify you. You can still be a godly leader. You can still influence others for the kingdom of God. So I just want to wrap, us, wrap this up and just say there are four lessons that we learn from Miriam's life. We can influence the destiny of the children. We don't just have to leave them to the world. We can influence, we can step in and stand in and, 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 and change the destiny of our children. We can worship in all circumstances and at all times in different ways. We can harvest life and death through the power of our tongue. And of course, we need to choose to speak life. And we can lead without position or title. We can be godly leaders wherever he has promised us, wherever he has placed us. Amen. So I pray that these lessons will help you in your daily walk with God. And I pray